You're listening to Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome again to another Thought and Leaders. And today we have an exceptional leader, and his name is Jamie Downer. Uh, hello, Jamie. Nice to speak to you again. For those out there who may not know you, tell us a little bit about your background in advertising and in market research. And Throughout my career, I worked with uh, blue chip clients, uh, great big companies, household names, global brands. You've dealt with organizations, institutions, you've dealt with yeah. uh, the police, you've dealt with financial organizations, just about everything really, haven't you? Yeah, literally across the board. COVID has been probably the greatest in terms of political British campaign, in terms of size, depth, breadth, the whole lot, since the Second World mm. War. There are certain rules, as it were, in um, marketing that apply no matter what the situation. I think um, in no particular order, the first thing they should have done is formed some sort of government of national unity because the coronavirus came about against a backdrop of Brexit, which split Britain down the middle. So here was an opportunity to actually bring the two sides together. But also it would make the handling of the crisis more effective. You wouldn't be giving out confusing messages to the public, nor would you have to devote time to dealing with the opposition. So that's the first point. The government has been hiding behind silence all the time, right from day one, they've been saying that they're being guided by the silence because science gives you facts, gives you the data, and you, the politician, then have to make the decision. So don't blame science for the decisions that you make. I think there have been times when the image has been blurred. For example, Dominic Cummings attending SAGE meetings, which should never have happened. Jamie, I mean, you were you yes. were an independent planning uh, yeah. brand psychologist and stuff like that. Yeah. So why can't he do attend these meetings? They may feel critical of the government, but they'd be more loath to share that feeling amongst themselves if a member of the government is present. If you've got a conservative observer there, then there should have been members of the other parties present as well. Going back to your at some of the world's biggest advertising agencies, it must be said, this idea of having someone there from one department snooting around his other department, you don't want an accountant being with the creative people because all they're going to start saying, oh, it costs too much. Yes. Well, there was a time when um, marketing, branding, regarded as the province of just one department. Buy Volvos. They're boxy, but they're good. We know they're not sexy. This is not a smart time to be sexy anyway, with so many new diseases around. Be safe instead of sexy. At the start of this century, there started to be a movement much towards making the whole company consumer-centric. And so the consumer was at the heart of the operation, and everyone, no matter what department, they understood what customer needs and wants were. But if they're going to be consumer or citizen centric, then you're going yeah. to be pandering to the needs of the consumer before the facts and the figures of your scientific forums, aren't you? It's a good point that you raise. Should a political party follow or should it lead? 
I certainly felt with the Labour campaign, not only were they bombarding people with too many messages and towards the end of their campaign, and also messages which weren't credible. They needed to explain their thinking to people. This idea about explaining the message, one of the things that a lot of people complained about with the messages was no one actually understood them. And that's such a, it made me think back of all these things that you and I have seen in the past, clients knowing what they mean, but assuming that everybody else out there knows what they mean. Absolutely. Really satisfying. The biggest Mars bar ever. You know, you think of the great campaigns, for example, Mars work, rest and play. One of the things that made those campaigns great was that they were allowed to run for, for year after year after year after year. So people got the message. Now, yeah, but Jamie, what, there's no way they're going to get the message in, in three months. Well, they're even less likely to get it if, if you keep changing it every week or every two weeks. Because we started off with a three-pronged message and, you know, stay at home, protect the NHS and something else. Isn't yeah. that amazing? We've and, already forgotten it. And then they changed it to stay alert. And uh, I know. I was wondering if it's going to be sponsored, Jamie, by Red Bull with stay alert. Yeah, absolutely. They knew right from the outset that this was going to be a classic bell curve, this um, coronavirus. So they had a good idea of what was coming up. And so what they should have done is come up with a slogan that would endure, that would address what people have to do whilst the rate of infection was increasing, but also that would still be relevant as it was going down. Instead, they kept changing the message. You know, you can't do really much market research on the COVID campaign because it's happening. We haven't got the time to start pontificating and theorising about whether this is the right approach or that is the right... I haven't got the time, mate. I can understand you saying that, but we were doing research before a campaign started throughout its duration and then afterwards. And we were giving constant feedback to the clients. And if they were a good client... That learning was fed back into the process. You're saying that if it was you who was looking after this campaign from a planning point of view, you would have been monitoring it like weekly, daily, whatever it might be, would you? Yeah, absolutely. And nowadays with the technology that we have at our disposal, it's even easier to do it. You give your hand to me and then you say hello. I can hardly speak My heart is beating so And anyone could tell You think you know me well But you don't know me No, you don't know I remember talking to you many years ago uh, when I was uh, writing one of the books that when people give answers in market research, they're going to tell you what they think they want to hear. Some people will, but there are techniques that you can use, like uh, projective techniques. Yes, you're right. People don't always mean what they say or don't always say what they mean. Sometimes it's a subconscious thing. They don't even realise that they're not telling you the truth. Um, Freud differentiated between suppression and repression. At other times, people are deliberately holding things back. But if you use projective techniques, then Mm. you can actually cut through that. 
interesting Freudian stuff is suppression and repression there. Sometimes people hold thoughts that they actually find uh, painful. And so they're having to resolve that conflict. You know, I think this, but it's a painful, negative way to think. So they actually mm. try to push that. They're con- conflicted, is the word. Confliction and suppression and repression, all of these, mm. all of these issues and more besides, really pay an important role when it comes to social distancing. It's really difficult to manage people i was going to say the word control people in terms of get, giving them a message which is you know stay safe stay indoors when people mm. are going to say well who are you to tell me what to do and all that sort of idea when those death figures were were just right you know going up 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 and it almost reached a thousand people were were in a state of um, shock and fear and they were looking for direction we were told that Boris Johnson would be addressing the nation. And I'm not his biggest fan, I have to say, but I thought he did a really good job. It was short and to the point, and it was measured. He stuck to the script. But unfortunately, I think because of his personality, he does find it difficult to stick to the script. And I think, um, I know he's been ill, bless him, and I think he would be well advised not to appear in front of the camera too often. Far, far better to push other people forward, like Hancock, who seems to hanker after publicity, even though I think uh, he might overestimate his own um, abilities. Um, one newspaper described him as uh, a school prefect who, who erroneously thinks that, that he has the quality to be head boy. In the run-up to COVID, time after time, we heard on, on the news how hospitals were falling f- further and further behind target in terms of waiting lists. And then on cancer, we've got one of the worst treatment records in um, Western society and also further afield. Soon after the um, government was elected, Labour put forward a motion that basically the nurses should get a pay rise. Now, Labour were in a win-win situation proposing that motion because if they won, it would be great. They could then pass a motion, a motion of no confidence in, or at least put forward a motion of no confidence in the government. And even if they lost, it would make the government look really stingy. They lost. But the reaction of the government when the vote was announced, when the result was was announced, all the Tories were jeering. They were actually jeering. You can go back and, and YouTube it. Less than a couple of months later, we've got the government saying, um, protect the NHS. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. This is gross hypocrisy. But also, this is another fundamental point about their campaign. Protect the NHS. Hang on. I thought the NHS were there to protect us. From a psychological point of view, it's a kind of a social contract that's going on, which is, I'll look after you if you look after me. And I think that that's what Protect the NHS is. But maybe I'm wrong. You're the expert. What do you think? Yes, I think you might well be right on that. That was the aim. But, you know, going back to this uh, point about should should a government follow or, or lead, we in this country value the NHS even more so than ever. Let's go back to basic human stuff, right? Yeah. Go back to that Maslow. So in terms of the pyramid here, is a little bit about 
giving us protection, giving us control, isn't it? Because when you lose one of the levels of the of the pyramid, you're you know a little bit of control's gone, and then another bit of control. And before you know, it, the whole thing collapses in inwards. scared we will grab out and we'll say you know what i'm about to die and all of a sudden i can appreciate that i need help it's like the old adage that there aren't any atheists in the trench in a war you know but all of a sudden people find all of a sudden people find god but i still go back to my basic point that i think that whole campaign was back uh, particularly the, the nhs was back to front because really the government should be protecting the NHS by properly funding it. Mm-hmm. As I said before, uh, for the listeners, uh, Jamie, um, he really, honestly, he has even advised the Metropolitan Police on campaigns as well. <laughs> so when you would be looking at this thing about, you know, we are protecting them, would yeah. you have turned it, would you have perhaps considered turning it around? The NHS are protecting you. Yes, exactly. Well, it should have been the NHS are there, are protecting you, and therefore you should pre, you should reciprocate by doing everything you can to protect yourself. But from a psychological point of view, if the if the sentence is saying we are protecting you, then you could think to yourself, well, hold on, if this guy, well, this huge organisation actually, yeah. if yeah. this huge organization is protecting me then you know what i might as well do whatever i like because you know what i'm being protected by the huge organization yeah. Yeah. so maybe i'm thinking it was an ingenious campaign the ordinary citizen must take responsibility they must be the one who's looking after the nhs and in return the nhs will look after them but the other way around doing it is don't worry about it big brother is taking care of you don't worry about it big brother is taking care of you would have been the wrong route to go because firstly it would uh, abrogate you of responsibility you could feel it it, oh all right in in that case i can do whatever i want because you know big brother's going to look after me but also it does bring this specter of um big brother society even uh, more into focus because so are we saying that hold on have you fallen into my devious trap mr dow and have you have i convinced you that this is actually a great campaign then because it says look after the nh protect the nhs so therefore (laughs) it's an ingenious campaign um i think certainly i accept your point that they've introduced this notion of the uh, social contract uh in into it but unfortunately the social contract the queen saying the streets are full of love etc it starts to fall apart 
it, it started, well, well, they weren't full of love last weekend, were they, <laughs> in London? But um, it starts to fall down when, when members of the government don't abide by the rules that they themselves have set. I'm thinking, thinking of... Mr Cummings? Africa. Yes. You're yeah. saying that really what's going on here, it's not just about him personally, but it's about what it represents in terms of their message, which is we yeah. love you and you will love us in return when we will all love each other. And just to make yeah. sure that you get the point, let's get the monarch to also say that there's a lot of love out there. And then this guy says... Well, actually, I only love my own parents and go and jump in the lake. Yes. Yeah. And um, someone described the press statement that he released as reverse engineering. It's a bit like the defence in a court case. You think, OK, what evidence is there against me? What's actually known and, and can't be denied? And how, how can I weave a story round that? I've got a lot of sympathy with him to a degree um you know he lives life in a fishbowl but the spotlight was also put on his family as well um i strongly objected to the scenes outside his house yeah but from a psychological point of view you were objecting Mm -hmm. to the fact that the press were being rabid reckless it wasn't paparazzi in terms of cognitive dissonance was going against the overall message, which was social contract. It was also the mob frenzy taking over. And um, in a time of crisis, you have to try and maintain some sense of order to um, to try to ensure that, that levels of anxiety don't rise even further. Then you see mob mob behaviour, um, and we saw it um, in uh, on the streets of London. It's as though society is going out of control. When they first introduced the stay-at-home rule and, um, you know, you can only go out for a five-minute walk or... Whatever or it was, yeah. Day. Yeah. Um, Cressida Dick, she said that in this country, the police police by consent. And it was a clear message from her that, you know, it has to be the will of the people. Um, it isn't the job of the police, really, to interpret the will of the people. It's not their job to interpret the will of the people, but surely it's their job to interpret the rule of the law. Yeah. Or have I got something wrong here? Am I missing something? No, you know, a law only works if people want it to work. But if you have a law that everyone says, well, we don't like it, well, tough, it's the law. I'll, mind you, you're going to say that the poll tax, it was overturned because of the rule of the people. What was unusual about about the poll tax rebellion was that it was people from all walks of life. It wasn't just a bunch of radicals from one particular sector of society. It was across society. And you've got people, you know, I think by and large, people have been incredibly compliant, but there will always be some people who don't want to comply or can't. Relatively early on, they released figures about how many people had been fined for um, breaking the lockdown rules. And uh, my area, Windsor, Thames Valley Police had the highest number of fines dished out. A lot of the people who were fined were in fact recidivists. They were multiple offenders. They were doing it time after time after time after time after time. And each time the fine was um, increasing. And more recently, the government's increased. um, I I think at the time, the maximum fine was about 600 quid. That's now been increased to um, to 1,000. If you're going to be saying, and now the government has increased the fine to a thousand quid and yet this is the same government 
who had some sort of influence in terms of rule of law over the police force. And you've got all these people who are congregating, you know, whether it's peaceful or whether it's not peaceful, you know, they're not giving them any fines. The whole of this campaign is a contradiction. Because at one point you've got your Thames Valley police who are going from 600 quid to 800 quid to 1,000 quid for some guy who, who has the audacity to, you know, go and walk his dog. But then on the other hand, when you've got these other people who are protesting, don't worry about it because we don't want to upset. We don't want to upset the will of the people. I mean, what is this? It's, well, well, it's also a question of practicality as as well, because when you've got a huge number of, of demonstrators, you need a huge number of police. Yeah. Because you haven't got the manpower, you know what? Let them go. Yeah. Great news. Great news for anyone who fancies in the future, you know, messing with the UK from a, uh, a military point of view. Because let's face it, we've cut most of our troops down to God knows how many numbers we've got yeah. now, which is not what it used to be. Because basically we can say, you know what? We haven't got the manpower today. <laughs> so, so invade. The uh, police force numbers have, have been slashed, of course. Um, Why didn't they bring in the army then? Um, well, I mean, we know that the, the we know that the army has helped build these uh, nightingale centres, but yeah. you know we could yeah. get them to do other things as well. I'm sure uh, they all attended the Boy Scouts and the Cubs. Or I'm not allowed to mention yeah. that the police didn't need the army. The police did a very good job of uh, yeah, they did. of containing the um, troublemakers, and, and and I thought they were very well rehearsed. They've learned from events like the Notting Hill Carnival on how to police. You know, try and get alongside the people before you bring out the pepper spray or the baton or, or, or whatever it might be. And then the moment an element of the crowd turned nasty, the moment that happened and they started to shower uh, the police, the, the riot squad appeared as if by magic. You know, it was a carefully rehearsed uh, response and I thought it, worked, you know, it, was, it was very, very effective. Now, you have, I mentioned before, you have actually worked with the, uh, was it the Metropolitan Police? Yeah. Yes, and and also I w- I did uh, several projects for the, for the Black Police Association as well. You invariably get a, a a small number of people who will literally go somewhere, literally to have a fight, and it doesn't yeah. matter what the yeah. fight's about; it's there exactly. to have a fight. Do you think that this really that all these um, thugs have suddenly acquired? <laughs> Sorry, I've got to laugh. It makes me laugh. All these thugs have suddenly acquired an acute taste for history in terms of discussing the merits of a historical figure who is on a st- <laughs> who is being <a> st- <laughs> made a statue. And you've got these people thinking, yes, but in 1743, <laughs> this particular guy, he, he went against, you know, his ethos. And I think we should talk about the morals and the ethics of this guy. Really? So you've got all these thugs who are all of a sudden discussing this stuff. <laughs> I certainly think it's the former. Um, it is people, you know, any excuse for a punch-up. And uh, if one was left in, <laughs> in any doubt about just how sincere they were about preserving our mon- monuments, why was one of them urinating next door to the statue of a policeman who was killed in a terrorist attack? Uh, yeah, I know. Recently? That was awful. That was really yeah. bad. 
in terms of Black Lives Matter, uh, it's really interesting that I was reading that if you have uh, Apple Siri and you um, say, what does all lives matter mean? It then gives you the answer that it is a anti-black message, which is interesting. Mm. I mean, mm. someone somewhere, Jamie, has to program this stuff. All lives matter is often used in response to the phrase, black lives matter, but it does not represent the same concerns. To learn more about the Black Lives Matter human rights movement, visit blacklivesmatter.com. So then the, the new truth in our new norm is that the, if you say all lives matter, then you are right wing. What is segregation? I don't know what segregation is. Uh, what is bigotry? I don't know what bigotry is. What does, uh, hatred mean? I don't know what it is. Uh, what is, uh, prejudice? Um, I think it's when somebody's sick. I don't care whether you're black, white, Jewish, um, Muslim, Hindu. I don't really care. I think that if you love each other, that's all that matters. The meaning of a word is not devoid of its context. Yes, all lives do matter. But when it's juxtapositioned alongside black lives matter, then it takes on a different undertone, a more dark meaning. It's like uh, the word nigger. Um, if, you know, black rap musicians frequently use it to describe themselves. Within that context, it is acceptable because they have chosen to use the word. Um, mm. If I were to use it, then it would not be acceptable. And I, under I understand that and I accept it. Metropolitan Police had, had a campaign uh, slogan for years, um, working together for a safer London. Very effective because it, um, it goes back to your uh, earlier point about the power of an implicit social contract. Working together for a safer London. Who nice. would actually not want a safer London? That is relevant. But also they weren't over-claiming. They were saying, you know, this is our goal. And it was very effective. It's rather like... British Rail back in the 70s, 80s um, had a very bad reputation for punctuality and, and for courtesy and for safety. And then they came out with this campaign, we're getting there. You can't say we're getting there.
We're not quite there. What what they were doing was owning up to the fact that they weren't there. However, however raw the truth truth is, including in in uh, it used to be called intercity, yeah, mm. and to, including yes. in intercity, yeah. yeah, that we are getting there. You know, tell them the truth. We're not quite there. Yes. Yeah. Carlsberg's brewing experts constantly strive to improve and refine their famous lager. But as they consider that Carlsberg is already probably the best lager in the world, they have little hope of success. How oh, well, Carlsberg, probably the best lager in the world. Carlsberg, probably the best lager in the world. That's a get out. No. And also it's quite clever because, because if yes. you say to yes. someone, this is probably the best lager in the world, what that would say to me, you know what, I'm going to order the lager because he says it's probably, but he's giving the control to me to decide if, it's the pro- if it is the definitive best lager in yes. the world. Yeah. So do you think that in our new norm where we now find ourselves as we are rushing off to Primark to buy a £3 uh, T-shirt allegedly made in China for the kids because we couldn't get out before, do you think that in our new norm, the best route from a branding point of view and a messaging point of view is to throw out the gauntlet and say, it's a new world, it's our new world, it's up to you to, take, to, to do something about it. It's up, it's, up, yeah. it's up to us together. Or is that, Jamie, just propaganda? Um, it very much depends. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as as one size fits all. I'd like to say to everyone out there that if you do go to Primark, they do have one size that does fit all because they do have your interests at heart. Carry on. You, you mentioned Maslow earlier. He had this hi- hierarchy of needs, and he basically said that as uh, society goes through stages of evolution and becomes more sophisticated, it starts off with basic requirement for food and shelter then it moves to the next level where people want social acceptance and need to belong and then if all goes well it moves to a stage of self-actualization where people can be themselves and actually go out of their way to be different from the person next door that's the stage we were at before um, the coronavirus and with um, new media and technology, it was much easier to, to actually identify different tribes and what their specific set of needs were. But now I think Maslow's hierarchy has collapsed because we're in fear. So that safety. Yeah, yeah. Which we thought that as a, as a society we, we left behind 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, 70 years ago now that is where we're at and it isn't just because of um coronavirus we've also seen how um one of the benefits of of coronavirus has been a lot of data collection and analysis we've learned even more about the inequalities in this country and uh, you know the gap between the rich and the poor has got wider and wider and, and wider. Estimates of um, you know unemployment as being anything between ten and twenty, twenty percent. But as one door closes, another one opens. Because yes, some some businesses, um, some companies will have gone out of business. But other businesses, for example, online delivery companies, companies uh, supplying PPE, 
their sales go through the roof. So I think um, really the government will need to start thinking about a, a message about being positive. Do you think that with a power positive thinking, without it becoming too propaganda, of course, uh, if, if you look ahead to two years' time, what will the world look like? I think we will see a big rise in nationalism across the world. Isn't that dangerous? It, it depends on your point of view, I think so. That leads to extremism, doesn't it? Absolutely. And always, you know, um, uh, especially fascist movements, they come out of um, economic Mm, always so, have, yeah. Always have done. Um, the poor are looking for salvation, and uh, if someone comes along waving the flag, saying, you know, get right behind me, you know, they will get right behind that person. They are looking for someone to blame, and it's always relatively easy to to identify Johnny Foreigner, and they become the scapegoat. We are actually going to go towards becoming even more intolerant yes really so all these pictures of kindly black guy helping the white guy and all the rest of it 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 will mean nothing you're saying that people will become even more divisive i think society will become even more um divided and you know um the right wing will um grow in strength and uh, you know don't forget that before the COVID crisis, um, there were a number of major terrorist uh, plots which were uncovered by the police in this country. And increasingly, they were not left-wing plots. They were not Muslim plots. They were plots by right-wing extremists. And so the communicators then in in the future, they're going to be even more devious, again, using social media, but becoming more... And I think that the use of psychology will play a greater part. I think think that it should uh, provide an even more influential role. Whether it does or not is is another matter. Um, I was watching BBC News yesterday and two black commentators were being interviewed and um, one of them made what I thought was a very valid point. Um, She said that it's very easy to take a simplistic view of race and say it's whites against whites against blacks full stop but but she said there's very big differences within the black and ethnic minority community on social mobility even within the asian community there's a big difference between indians and pakistanis and within the black community there's a big difference between nigerians and caribbeans in terms of their um somalians yeah. Yes, 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 she mentioned them as well, actually. Very important that um, we don't look for simplistic solutions. Boris Johnson has made that point to give him his due, that it's, it's a very complex matter. I, I, you know, I find it really sad that, you know, I was listening to sort of pro- a lot of my music and I was listening to protest music in, in the 60s, the very best of Peter, Paul and Mary. Uh, track 23 for your listeners is um weave me the sunshine um sung live it's brilliant and then the last and 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 then the last track is is all about no matter what i look like my feelings are the same as yours and it's absolutely beautiful all those records from 50 years ago and and those messages um are as relevant today as they have ever been sadly it's a little bit of history repeating itself absolutely yeah yeah Jamie, thank you so much for uh, joining us on uh, this very special uh, episode. Thank you for inviting me to participate in your podcast. 
My odd cast, that's it from now on. You see, this is the guy, the planner, who actually advises the world's greatest creatives. And he's come up after many, many cups of tea and coffee. And his answer for the whole thing was, we'll call it an odd cast. And that was when Madison Avenue was great. So with that, with that in mind, everyone, take care of yourself. Join me soon for another odd cast. Stay sane, stay safe. And what else did they say? Oh, and, and apparently don't stay indoors anymore. But spend, 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 because you never know when you're going to drop. Okay, then. Speak to you soon. Take care. Why not join us in a future show? It's a chance to make sure your story is heard. Or if you have an intriguing idea for Jonathan to explore, why not email reinventatme.com? That's reinventatme.com. Shine on me again.